there, we're on the air, it's hockey night tonight. Tension grows, the whistle blows, and the puck goes down the ice. The goalie jumps and the players bump and the fans all go insane. Someone roars, Bobby scores at the good old hockey game. Oh, the good old hockey game is the best game you can name. And the best game you can name is the good old hockey game. And we welcome you aboard Vegas Hockey Highline from Sunset Station. Brian Blessing, glad to be with you. Holiday weekend, Stevie Slapshot's back in studio. Full disclosure... It's the holiday Monday. Technically, we get to celebrate the 4th on the 5th. So the show's going to air today and again on Monday. So we're going to talk a lot about the Golden Knights. But Dave Shane is our guest from the RJ. Got to talk about what's going on this weekend with the Habs. Lightning change of venue in the series. It has been a whirlwind hockey season. Trades starting to happen. And we are ecstatic that Dave Shane is here. Stevie... We talk about our stable of guests. He has been one of our go-to guys. We love having Dave Shane here. And I get to see him. You don't. Well, it's Lucky me. It, absolutely fantastic to have him on today. And, and it's the off-season now, Dave, and I'm wondering if he's got the next fishing trip already planned. Uh-oh. Well, we're, we're trying to plan it. All right. It's in, the, it's in the, the planning process, planning stages, I guess you could say. I don't know. I, Are you going to at least fish for something different? He already caught something different. Well, that's part of the planning process. I don't know. I might go. I might be going to a different part of California if could, I do. Could you it. possibly catch something of this world that, that's not radioactive? <laughs> that isn't glowing. Yeah, you know the you know they they had the the government just had the the UFO report thing that's out, and there's that one object that's in the water. It's like it hover over the water and then it goes down in the water. I'm like, I'm going. That might be where Dave was fishing. <laughs> I always loved so when I was uh when I was younger we used to go down to San Onofre uh and go surfing. Where's that? San Onofre is down near San Diego. It's like north San Diego County. Okay. So it, it's in the Beach Boys song, Brian. Yeah, so and I'll give you even something whatever. At the very start, this is maybe I shouldn't say this on the radio. Um there's <laughs> There are there's two power plants that are kind of domed. Oh yeah, and you remember at the start of a Naked Gun, and he's talking about a uh, a woman and how he can't get her out of his mind, and he looks like out the window, <laughs> and you know that's San Onofre. That's the okay. So the power plant like warms the water there, or that's kind of the legend uh-huh. or whatever. So we used to go. It's a good surf spot. So we used to go down there a lot, you know, because kind of warmer water. But we always used to joke about how. You know, we're going to come back with a third arm or you well, know, something like that from going surfing uh, at San Onofre. It's a holiday weekend. All right, goofy story. I'm a, I'm a television, I'm an intern at a television station in Wilkes-Barre, Pennsylvania. And they had just hired this new news director. And this guy came in from New York. And it's one of these guys, you know, four or five people had gotten gassed right out of the gate. This guy comes in, you know. Firing people left and right. I'm an unpaid sports intern. Three Mile Island happens. Hmm. That's 90 minutes away, right? So they huddle the whole station up. Everybody's scared to death of this guy. And so we're in the vestibule of the reception area at the TV station. Okay, you're going here and you're going there. And this one there, we're doing these crews here and you're going there. And then he goes... He goes, you, this reporter and that cameraman, and he points at me. He goes, Brian, and you go, 
Uh, you, you're going to carry the equipment. You guys hop on the helicopter and go to Harrisburg. To three miles to on go the, on the helicopter. Yeah, but to go to go right down there. Where I mean, literally, this thing was so nuts where people were evacuating two hours away. Sends, which which way's the wind blowing? So right. So he sends in the expendable intern. Uh, the expendable intern, but all these other people are like, yep, yes, sir, and jumping through hoops, right? And I raised my hand. I'm an unpaid intern. I had bright orange hair at the time. I, and I looked at him and go, that ain't happening. <laughs> they, they look at me like, who is this guy? I go, I look at him, I go, I already got red hair. I'm not going down there. I don't want a third eye in the middle of my forehead. <laughs> I, and these people are like, who's this guy? Go, What's he going to do? Fire me. Go ahead. I'm not getting paid anyway. Huh? Unpaid intern, right? <laughs> I probably wouldn't go either. I don't oh, know. I said, no way, man. I don't, I don't think day. I'd get on a helicopter and go into the middle of oh, the, that's another the reactor. Well, that's another story. The Bills are playing in Miami. It was Chuck Knox, and he was spending Ralph Wilson's money like it was water. And they went and stayed. They played Tampa Bay and then Miami. So he just took the team from Tampa Bay and went to Vero Beach for a week to train. He stayed down there. So we're down in Miami. I got a friend that I knew from Pennsylvania was working in Miami. So we're down in Miami following the reports from the Miami stations. But when they got to Vero Beach, we hop a ride in the Miami TV station helicopter to go up to Vero Beach. Never again. Yeah, I don't think I would get in a helicopter. This guy, I'm telling you, this guy, there wasn't a doubt in my mind, this pilot, this guy had to be, he had to be in Vietnam. This guy, this, I mean, we're going up the coast. He's like buzzing beaches and we up and down. Oh, it was like, it was like, yeah, I love the smell of yeah, Starbucks in the morning. You know, I'm like, never. Oh, no. I, I, you talk about white knuckle. Yeah. I, no, I good, no enough, bueno. I have a hard enough time. <laughs> I have a hard enough time not getting rubber legged on the 12th tee at Concord Revere. Because it's an elevated T, let alone get in a helicopter. I think I might might pass out or something. The worst ever, I don't know why we're telling old stupid stories, but the worst ever was, I told the story before, Danny Gare and Ben Wilson got in a stick-swinging incident, and they both got five-game suspensions. And, of course, the next time they came back on the ice, it was Buffalo at Philly. Imagine this. In this day and age, imagine calling the Golden Knights. I mean, called the Sabres and said, hey, we want to come down to cover. They go, okay, you can come on the team plane, right? But so it's a blizzard. So we go to get on the plane, and I walk and I get out on the tarmac, and I'm going, You got to be kidding me. It's a prop plane. It's like, uh, what was it, Major League? It was, it was like, tape like tape as hit. God is my witness, it was like the Major League <laughs> prop. And this thing's going sideways down the runway. I'm like, Oh my God. <laughs> the things you do for work. Yeah, no kidding, huh? <laughs> well, hey, no. Gabe Marinsky. Hey, I made it through another season, so all right. By no, the I'm way, not. our buddy, we're, we're not on the network today. Gabe Marinsky, our good friend from the Sports Grid Radio Network, be doing a lot of shows with he and Cam Stewart, and he is a he's an idiot Canadian fan. He's from Montreal. He's he's in Vancouver. He's based in Vancouver. I was following this guy's, this poor guy's sojourn yesterday to get there from Vancouver. You think travel's bad down here, kids? You got no clue. His flight, he got there, the lines were like three-hour-long lines. His flight got delayed four hours. He's like, well, what am I going to do, leave the airport? It'll take me another four hours. It took him 11 hours 
to get from Van. He made it. He, he's in Montreal, and then he's dealing with the scalpers now to get a ducat for the game tonight. Yeah, good luck with that. That's saw the prices on the secondary market, like online. Four or five thousand. Right? No, it was like twenty. Huh? It was the the one a couple of the ones I saw. Yeah, they were like, they were going for like twenty twenty grand or something like that. Canadian, like ridiculous. I mean, I which I mean, I guess if you're up there and it's been what twenty eight years. My math is terrible. Ninety three. Yeah, I just I just put it this way. I remember high school. Dave was crushed when Marty <laughs> McSorley got his stick checked, and it was illegal, and they scored in overtime, and they like, oh, Dave, little little old Dave was crushed back then. <laughs> Dave, little Dave, the Kings fan. Isn't it? Isn't it amazing? Yeah, the welts we've grown. Yeah, the, the, the stuff that used to. Just well, I, didn't have, I didn't have now that you many. laugh at it. Yeah, I, I didn't have that many. That was one of the few scars I had as a. As a sports fan growing oh, up, my my heart honestly, my heart went out like the, the people here. The Pavelski thing, yeah. I, I mean that that was really the first like that's like oh my god, uh, and I'm sitting there going, well, I mean I, I feel your pain. I mean I, I've been down that road, but it's like part of me is like, eh, welcome to the NHL. Well, I was gonna say welcome to the welcome club. to the NHL. Yeah. Man. Now you got one too. Yeah, you know, you got a you got a reason to hate a team. You got a reason to hate the league. Yeah, you gotta, yeah you're a team now. Yeah. You're you're official. Yeah, it's like it's like having a bar mitzvah or something. <laughs> you know, you're now an adult. You're now grown up. Uh, the Seinfeld. Did you ever see the Seinfeld when they were? No, that was the the Briss. The Seinfeld Briss thing. Briss, yeah. Well, Briss is a little different yeah. than a well, bar Well, that was mitzvah, kept, let me tell you. Yeah, well, that, that was yeah, it was more akin to a Briss than yeah. a bar mitzvah was. For the nights, I guess it yeah. was, huh? Oh, my God. What do you think? I mean, I'm watching these first couple of games of the series. Stevie, you go first. I, I mean this. I'm watching it. I'm like, there's a part of me that's like borderline infuriated. I mean, whatever. It is what it is. I just I think Vegas' stubbornness, you know, you're watching these games going, Vegas is no one to blame but themselves, man. They should be playing the Lightning. Well, for the last three years, I I, I feel that way, Brian. That they don't in in the playoffs again. They're they're just not physical enough. Not not willing to do the things um, that uh, win playoff games. They're, they're talented enough. They can do the things that they need to do to win playoff games. They're just unwilling to do them. Unwilling, maybe. I, th- I think I, I, it, maybe, which would be maybe an even bigger indictment than um, stubborn to not do it. But, I, but either way, I think they feel man- like they're so talented that they can win games without doing, you know, the the what do I want to? How, what's the word I want to use? The, the the rough stuff or the. You know they greasy. They, yeah, well they don't see. My, my my dad used to. My dad's a baseball guy. He used to say, "Well, that guy doesn't want to get his uniform dirty." That's the way I feel about the Knights. They don't want to get their uniform dirty. They don't want to mess up their hair, and they they feel like they can just step on the ice and win games without having to do that. That that's the impression I get. Well, well, to maybe drive that point home finally, and we're you know however many days removed from, it, I still find it interesting, and I think it's the mindset maybe. That at the end, when the closing comments are, well, this is the best team we're ever going to play on. Well, if you believe that, maybe that was part of the problem. You know, I mean, and you give the other team credit. I mean, none of this is 
to take anything away from Montreal. But I just think the lack of adjustments, eh, it's a series, man. I mean, it, 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 it's hard to win. It's not that upsets don't happen. An eight seed can beat a one. But the playoffs are a different animal, Dave. This is a great team. This is a great regular season team. Is it a team that's built for the playoffs? So as I'm listening to you guys talk, I'm kind of thinking, and my brain goes 50 different directions. I know. Well, that's what we do. Well, and one of the things, (laughs) so it's interesting because I think, you know, so much of the Lightning and, and their reputation, I think, was based on probably a couple years ago and sort of being this high-flying, offensive-minded, you know. I think Vegas could play with these guys. That's the that's the rub. I think Vegas could play against the Lightning. With the Lightning? Yeah. I but do. But what I think that the thing is, is I think their reputation and what they actually are are two different things. Yep. And I think their evolution, and obviously I think the trades that they made at the deadline last year, they really hit a home run on. And, and it really solidified. But what it did was I think it, it changed their, and I'm going to use this word, their identity a little bit. I think it's more defined. And what I was sitting here thinking about was, what is the Knights' identity? And We talked about this yesterday. Yeah. Go ahead. Well, I, what I is it? I don't know. It's a hybrid. Right, it is. And, and they always said that, they always talked about that as a positive and as being you know, adaptable and you can win any way and any, but to me, there is an element of, I kind of agree a little bit with Stevie in terms of the, you know, not wanting to get their uniforms dirty, not wanting to mess their hair up a little bit. It's got to be kind of pretty. It's got to, you know, they almost got to skate it into the goal um, instead of just doing whatever it does. The the thing that I've watched or that I've taken away from these two, two Stanley Cup games versus what the Knights, you know, did in the, the six games against uh, Montreal is just how much more comfortable Tampa Bay appears in a nothing, nothing, a one, one, a, a two, one. like when it's a tight game and they have to get a bounce, make a play I love and not make a mistake. They seem so much more comfortable than the Knights ever did. You know what? Comfortable could be the word. Patient could be the word that Vegas Remember, Stevie, we talked about this. I mean, well, from game two on, I wanted them to dump the puck in. But then even as you're, okay, that big deal. Okay, thanks for that lightning bolt of information, although they didn't seem to get it. But then as the the series went on, it kind of dawned on me. You're watching going, wait a minute. You're winning every draw. You're scoring goals off face-offs. The defenses get, are getting the goals. You're not scoring goals. But you've had these moments where you've dominated the dot, and you you never really got the lead in the whole doggone series. And Montreal plays a different game when they're trailing the game, even though DeBoer tried to diminish that. I mean, it was kind of proven in the first three rounds for them. I think where Vegas got nutty, and what you're saying, Tampa's comfort level, and you watch it, and, and okay, it's patience where Vegas, if it was tied, Vegas is constantly going and pr- pressing. It's like, be patient. It'll come. Yeah, and I think that was especially apparent 
in the game five loss at home as soon as they got down and they just started throwing home run passes trying to basically you know hit three pointer hit it they were trying to hit a three run home run you know they were trying to get everything back with with one play with one shot and i think even pete DeBoer when he said after that game the next day that that we self-imploded i think that's what he meant they just got well the stretch completely out of the stretch pass is like montreal's drooling Keep, yeah, it did. It played it. right into their hands. Keep doing it, fellas. It did. It did. And that it that particular game especially it played it played into their hands and I do think there's an element of of patience that comes with it. And I think that whether it's experience or understanding I, I don't know, but that to me is 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 the next step or the next evolution for the Knights in terms of the postseason is just learning and and thriving in those types of games, because that's what playoff hockey is. What people want to talk about all the other stuff and what you, you know what it is. It's every flipping game is really close, and if you can't win a close game, if you can't play in a close game, because you you start thinking ahead and you start worrying and you make you know bad plays, you start throwing home run passes. It doesn't work. That to me is the next step or or whatever that this team has to get to or learn. Well, in series, when you get to the playoffs, it's about styles, matchups, and adjustments. It's a game of mistakes. I mean, it's not like you sit there and constantly drop an anvil on, you know, guys make mistakes. These things happen. I mean, some of them are the most egregious ones. Steve Smith, remember, the, yeah. put it in his own net. Yeah. Basically, it was a cup. You know, Flurry flubbed the puck behind the net. I mean... Guys make mistakes. Look at look at the giveaway by Montreal behind their own net the other night. It is a game of mistakes, right? But you just part of that is waiting for it to happen. Part of that is just you know understanding you stick to your game, stick to your game plan, and eventually you'll get a breakthrough. But that just seems to be an area, and and I know it's just a stat, and you know, but this year, last year, that Dallas series. And this year, just kind of throughout the postseason, where they just weren't able to find a comfort level in those tight games. You know, when it's 1-1, when it goes to overtime, whatever it might be, they just always seem to get, like you said, the blood starts pumping a little bit to their head. And, and you want, and the thing, and well, and as series goes on, go on, let's say the last couple of years, Caulfield has four goals. The entire Golden Knights forward group has four goals. Vegas is getting offense from the blue line. That's admirable. But, like you said, it's a one-goal game or it's a tie game. And Vegas is going to generate offense by activating the defense. The problem is, if that's what you're counting on and the other team's just in that sit-back mode, the time is going to come eventually when one of those pinches generates a two-on-one or a a breakaway or a three-on-two or whatever. And I like your terminology of being comfortable, knowing how to do it. Well, I think there's a mental fatigue or, I guess, conditioning maybe that comes with that because you have to be locked in. You have to understand that, you know, you can make 20 great plays. It might not beat the goalie. But your one mistake going the other way, you know, can cost you. You have 
that's the mentally draining part of a series against a team like that. And the the issue is that there's always going to be somewhere along the playoff path a team or two that play that way. You're always going to have to get by the team that levels the playing field, you know, that doesn't quite have the talent or whatever to stack up by basically, you know, protecting the house, packing the middle of the ice, keeping everything to the perimeter, you know, trapping, sitting back in a 1-1-3 the way the Canadians did when they could. There's always going to be a team like that, and if you can't get past that hurdle and that mountain, that's always going to be the night's struggle. And again, you know, we, we throw the descriptions out if it's arrogance or stubbornness. I mean, you want guys having an attitude and being cocky and self-belief. I mean, it's not saying that that isn't a, an asset at times, but you can't make it be a, to the point where it's a detriment too. Look at the goals for arguments. It's hockey cliche. You know, in overtime, get it to the net. You know, never a bad play to put it on. It's a hockey cliche. You look at some of the garbage goals that go in in pressure situations. You look at two of the goals the other night. Suzuki's goal is a backhander. You know, Vasilevsky's standing up like he's not even ready for it. Like he, he didn't read the play very well, but it comes to he never saw it. Goes through his legs. And then um, what was the the one goal? Well, Price had no, no, no the one was uh, through a screen. It went through Merrill's legs. This is the shot through. Five guys, and it went in. And that that's how you beat goalies at this time of year. But that belief of we we can always get the, you know, not necessarily the highlight real play, they just don't take the simple play. And I think you, you almost have to taper it back a little bit at this time of year. Yeah, Look at the I, was, I mean, uh, the, the one thing that I think holds true about this is that there's certain elements that hold true across all sports. Mm-hmm. I feel like I feel like it's analogous to, you know, football teams and being super offensive minded and all of a sudden you're going to run into, you know, a really good defense. And what do you do? You know, what do you do when you can only score 21 points and and you're used to scoring 52? You know, how do you react? Are you are you prepared for it? Are you coached for it? You know, can you handle, you know, making one play to win a game instead of being used to making three or four and and blowing a team out, I, you know, baseball, same thing. That the team that I just feel like the offensive-minded team in any sport is always going to run into or have the kryptonite of, you know, pitching, defense, goaltending, whatever it might the, the be. The football, that, the football analogy, and again, it's a passing game in football now. Aerial shows. Okay, you had the Niners and the Chiefs, and that was a wild passing crazy game but last year who ran the ball better tampa bay you know in football i mean even in an aerial game the team that can run the ball move the sticks protect the you know running is ultimately the difference right well and then so here's the struggle though is that as a fan or a coach or whatever you always want to do it with style you always want your team to look good doing it you know, you don't want to win ugly. You don't want to sit back and win, you know, a hockey game one nothing or, you know, a football game 14 to 10 or, you know, you want your team to look good doing it. You know, I always think of, you know, 
Brazil or, you know, whatever in soccer, like Holland. Like, I always follow Holland. And it was always a big thing with Holland was like, you know, well, we're not going to just, like, sit back and do all the things that, you know, we know would win a game. We're going to do it going forward and do it with style because that's who we are and we want to look good doing it. And, and, and I do think, you know, again, with, with hockey, there there has to be an element of getting things done dirty. And, and I don't mean cross-checking and slash slashing and all that dirty i just mean like in front of the net dirtiness and you know greasy goals and ugly tips and taking a hit to make a play yeah yeah all that sort of stuff you have to be so skilled and so much better than the other team to just do all the fancy stuff and make it look good and all the other team gets a paycheck too the the hard part for the knights is that when you spend as as much as you do when you bring in as much high-priced talent as they have, you don't want to be the team that sits back and plays kind of the ugly, bland style of hockey that's sort of leveling the playing field. You want to be the the team that's attacking and going forward and, and trying to score goals. The hard part now, it seems to be, is finding that balance in the postseason mm-hmm. when you can't just drop the puck, rock and roll, and, and outscore somebody you know, whenever you feel like it. So... The next couple of weeks, I mean, loaded question. Knock yourself out. Are they swinging for the fences? Do you sit back, you wait, you try to vulture a couple of guys with teams that are dealing with Seattle? You know, what McCrimmon and McPhee are concocting is going to be really interesting. And how they see the stuff we're yapping about as they analyze what they're doing. And the power play, you sit there and go, well, okay, coaching should have made that better. Is it personnel? You know, you can make subtle little adjustments to it, but to get it right, once you've got the team you're going to battle with, but could they even be taking the dive into this going, specifically targeting guys that would be effective on the power play. I mean, we've had the discussion, you know, Eichel this, Eichel that. Reinhardt on the power play, that's what he's really good at. at. As of today, that's what Vegas needs. But that doesn't mean with other changes, the power play could be a completely different animal. I mean, how they sit down and, and analyze this and say, plus you, the cap is always in play, right? I mean, the, the dollar stuff. I mean, I'm looking at Riley Smith. I mean, what what do you do? I mean, every other team in the league, you just look at it and say, well, they're either extending Riley Smith or they're moving him. It's that simple. He Either he, he maybe gets traded on draft day or he's a very valuable commodity as a rental at the deadline. But he sticks out like a sore thumb. One year left, five million. You gonna let you want to let a guy like that just walk out of here? Well, what's fascinating to me, and so I'll start with this: when we talked Monday, um, I had an idea about the All Star game coming. I, I had I had sort of a whatever you know, sort of a feeling on that one. A premonition. And, yeah, there you go, crystal ball. <laughs> Um, he finally ate the fish, Steve. Yeah. Apparently. 
Um, <laughs> and we never really Give we me. never really talked about that. But after that became official uh, that day, when Batman made mm-hmm. that announcement, uh, I was able to talk to Bill Foley afterward for a little bit, and was able to talk to him about the All Star Game coming and got his reaction. But also talked to him about the season for a few minutes. And I'll tease a little bit because I'm going to have a story out this weekend. Uh, one of the things that really stood out to me from my conversation was the way that the power play irked Bill. <laughs> you know, that that my takeaway was that's what he wants fixed at this point is that power play can't go into another season the way it is right now. Now, whether that you know, I think he certainly was implying that that's a personnel change, maybe that that we could see coming. And how many guys does it take to? That's the question. How many guys does it take to fix a power? Plant? Well, and that's the hard part too. Is to me is like finding well, who who can upgrade it? Now, are you trying to find a finisher? Are you trying to find somebody to quarterback it, be the playmaker, be the guy that it runs? So, like, what are you looking for? Because there's not many of either. To be quite honest, they're rare. That's why they're mm-hmm. there's you know those are elite players in in most cases that are that are running a power play and, and executing it you know at twenty five percent plus and, and things like that. So I do think that that's the area absolutely that the Knights have you know identified that needs to get fixed. Now how big they they make a splash with that you know whether it's a signing or whether they think it's a small tweak, uh, a player here, a player there. You know that might fix it, or do they need to swing big? I think that's going to be the most fascinating thing. Last last off season, coming off of you know that loss in Dallas and just everything with the goalies was to me, and obviously not much to go off of, but the most interesting off season that they've had, and I think this is the same, but times two because it's everything amplified. Plus, like you said, the Riley Smith situation. Plus, you know. Now you've got an Alec Martinez that's a UFA. You, you know, you've got everything last year with the goalies and figuring out how do we get over the hump from the same problem, the same type of team knocked them out this year. Everything is the same. Well, but, there's... But, but, but with the with the volume turned up and more urgency and more desperation. Martinez, shot-blocking machine. <clears throat> Actually, you know... Does pretty good work on the power play, all things being equal. He may be one of their more effective guys on the power play. At, at least times. he can one-time it from the circle. They need that in their repertoire, that, and he's the guy who provides it. But d- did he play himself into a $5.5 million contract, a $6 million contract on the open market? How much? He's made a lot of money. Does he want to stay here? Does he want to go to back to Michigan? I don't you know. So you got him. You got a fourth line guy making a million seven who's a healthy scratch in game five and game six. I mean, that's not money well spent. You've yeah, got. I would not be surprised if that money is not here next year, to be quite honest. Well, no, that makes it. sense. I mean, yeah. if it's where there's smoke, there's fire. Yeah. yeah. I mean, there's a lot in play. And then the other thing that I think is a really good question, and you, you give them the benefit of the doubt just because of the way this thing was built. It's free agent this and massive trades that that brought this team together. But the jury's out. The only two guys, unless I'm missing something, 
that you can say, yeah, hey, good work developing White Cloud and Haig. I think Haig's heading the right way. White Cloud, really, really strong. Glass, not so much, obviously. And there's not. we don't know. The jury's out about their ability to develop young players. Well, I do think that that showed up in the series against the Canadians just in terms of the impact Caulfield had. Yeah. The impact Suzuki had, Kakaniemi. You know, I, I know there wasn't a lot of younger players that the Canadians had in their lineup, but the Knights had Nick Haig. Was it? He was the only one that they drafted that was in their lineup in Game Six. And White Cloud is signed as a free agent, like might as well be. But yeah, you know. But and he was a touch older college. Right, but he's not. And this is this is the time now. We're four years into this. Yeah. You know, like I said, you see the impact Caulfield had. He's the same draft as Krebs. So you know, you're going back. You know, they, had, they didn't have a first round pick in 2018 because they traded that, that away for Tatar. Um, you know, that's where it starts to sort of show oh. up where you haven't had those and the depth isn't, you know, maybe there and you're Well you know you know how quick the big contracts all of a sudden they become immovable objects and you've gotta start blending younger guys in and believe me, things look fine for the foreseeable future. But it can go sideways for you, and if if it really comes off the tracks, look at a lot of teams around the league. How long it takes them to get back on? I mean, that's not an issue today, but you've always got to be looking down the road. Yeah, and I think you know the way that they're built for the most part, just because they've invested in some goaltending, and obviously, you know they've got pieces like Theodore and Petrangelo and Stone locked up, and like you know, like they're going to be good. Like, I don't think their window's closing yeah. in in that regard. But I, I do think they're getting to the point where if you're going to if you're going to invest in the high end guys and pay high high salary, you know, and, and have big salary cap hits for a handful of guys, then what you have to have is production on the bottom end, I guess, of your payroll. And the guys on the entry level deal, you have to squeeze production out of them the teams that can do that the teams that are getting the you know the production out of the guys that they're paying for but then have guys on an entry-level contract that are outplaying that contract though you know that's the jackpot and they just haven't hit on that yet Let me they have... haven't hit on a Braden point in, the, in no. the third round that they fix his skating and then all of a sudden you've got a 90 point guy well and listen no knock but it's it's true it's a great trade it's a scoop and score, right, when he gets Stevenson for a song. But on most teams, he's a third-line center. He's a first-line center. They need help down the middle. There's no getting around that. They've got to upgrade. Again, I'm gonna, I'll give Ken Bulky. Uh, we were talking after the show, I guess, the other day. They got the game winner. Wap, Wap put the game winner in. And there have been flashes of in the first four years where the third and fourth lines were really key cogs and components to their overall success. But you think of the third and fourth lines now. I mean, it's it's good, steady play. But at some point, you've got to generate some offense. I mean, Tampa Bay wins game two 
with Sorelli, Palat, and Coleman scoring. I mean, they win a game with no Kucherov, no point. You and, know, you, and, and Bark, you, Barkley Goodrow was the guy that got the puck and made the nice pass. Yeah. So those kind of guys, Brian, you're right. Carrying plays one thing, but I mean, you know, you got to generate some offense too. I thought it looked better at times. I thought when they were able to have Tucking in Mark and Waugh, they definitely had their moments. I remember in game one of the Canadian series. I mean, Tuck was everywhere, and and I mean that in a good way. Yeah, uh, he, I, they, I mean, he skated Josh Anderson into the ground with that matchup for the most part. And then I don't know he, if if he got hurt. I mean, certainly there was some, you know, he had a game time decision if I remember right in there. And then before game six in Montreal, he had like left early at the morning skate. Uh, and I, I know I had asked him, Pete DeBoer, if there was an update, and he said he's fine. Obviously, he played, but you kind of wonder if, you know, maybe it was something nagging a little bit in that series. But, yeah, when he gets going, when they have an effective third line, you see the difference that it makes. I mean, they really haven't had a consistent third line for, you know, four years for the most part. That's always been something they've tried to figure out, tinker with, bring different guys in, mix and match. I think some of that is still the expansion effect of of just having that overall talent depth in the organization where they, they had to patch it together a little bit, you know, and they, they got away with it. It works. But, yeah, you see you see the effect, you know, when L or Burakovsky from, you know, that Stanley Cup series and the effect that the Capitals third line had in there. Um, it is an area that they have to improve. And I would even go so far, and I think I mentioned this maybe Monday or before, I, I think the fourth line at this point, is the, they have to upgrade that. It's Absolutely. Yeah. I don't want to pick, I'm not picking on him because all of them, it's a discussion, all of them struggled to put the puck in the net. What, what do we think of Alex Tuck? And, and I, you watch it, and when he, like you said, he was everywhere, and he... He plays with an edge when he gets mad, and he, he can be dominant, and you can't take the puck from him. All right, regular season, 55 games, 18 goals, 15 assists, 33 points, plus 16. All right, 55 games, 33 points. The postseason, Tuck, 19 games, 4 goals, 5 assists, plus 6. Playing 16 minutes a game. And the only reason I bring it up is I think he's really capable of being a lot more than he is. I mean, is he a second-line winger? I mean, does he have the upside to ever get to be a first-line winner? You, You see flashes of it. And I guess, and I'm, it's a weird dynamic. I'm not, I'm not like, Dropping a medicine ball on him. It just seems to me like he is capable of so much more in terms of the way you watch him play in terms of results and numbers. Well, I mean, he was doing that in that role the second year, and then they traded for Mark Stone, and he got bumped down in the in the lineup. Okay. And since then, he was basically almost primarily a third-line guy. Never really had a lot of run, 
you know, with top six lying consistently where he could generate chemistry and get, you know, look, it was always as a replacement. If somebody got hurt, you know, okay, well, Tuck is the first option you go to, you know, for the top six. I mean, all I answer your question like this only because you mentioned like Riley Smith. If you're going to trade Riley Smith, I think you can and would be willing to do it because you have Alex Tuck in house, Mm -hmm. because you have a ready-made Replacement somebody who's basically knocking on the door, if not has already kind of barged through it as a top six guy. You know, I, I do. I think he's a top six player. Now, what is his ceiling? Like, uh, you know, I don't know. I think there's enough flaws in his game that I'm not going to say that, you know, I think he's a 30 goal scorer. I, I just haven't seen enough of the consistency yet. Is, I, is this fair? Is this fair? But I would say he's a 20 to 25 goal scorer oh, I, every year, and he better be. I'll he never forget be. after the first year and watching him play. And we were interviewing them. Well, it was during training camp at City National. And I was just like in my head thinking of all the chances he had in tight, in close. Like, bear down, man. Put it in. And I asked him that. I said, I said is that one of the things is a learning curve? Is like, bear down, put the puck in the net. I mean, the kind of numbers you think you can generate. And he goes, oh, you mean the Holpe thing? I said, no, <laughs> it was not about the Holpe thing. If that puck was coming across the crease on edge and you just swatted it, I mean, I don't, you know, it was on edge. I don't know if you could have got it up. That, that one, you tip your hat to Holpe. But I think there are many other nights. You're in close, bear down, bang him home. I think part of the problem is he's not down low, in close enough. Yeah, maybe. Is the criticism. Yeah, yeah. I think that's fair. My thing with him, I watch him, and I think I said this before. I'll, I'll use a football analogy with this. He reminds me of, like, Jeff George, the quarterback who's got a bazooka arm, yeah. and he can't tone it down. He's got no touch. You know, when he's got a, when he's got to put it in somewhere, and he can't just let it. Yeah. Absolutely he, rip at 100 miles an hour. I, I agree. He, he can't do it. And Alex Tuck seems like he just needs to, like, slow it down a little bit and then just... It, it, you're right. It's, you know? not, it's not an un, Maybe it's not an unwillingness to be there, but how many times you come flying in with a shot and the puck could be sitting there and it's a flyby because he was going so fast. Yeah. Not because he's willing to be there. I think it's a, some of it... I. I mean, I remember this last year. I think in the in the bubble, he scored a goal, and I think we actually even talked about this, um, where he scored a goal where he stopped and like knocked in a rebound. Hey, and we, yeah, and, and we talked about how it was. Oh, he didn't do the flyby, you know. He didn't. He didn't, you know, buzz the tower like you know Maverick and Top Gun or whatever. He he actually, you know, did a hockey stop and like got on the puck and. You know, planted him, himself in there to if he had to take a shot, he was willing to take a shot, but it paid off in a goal. Like I do think there's a little element of that, but uh, yeah, I do think the other element of him is everything he does is like a hundred miles an hour, and and it seems like he's either got to be able to slow it down a little bit or be able to execute it a hundred miles an hour. Steve, you see the difference? Dave says the flyby is Maverick in Top Gun. I would say the flyby is Buddy Hackett in It's a Mad, Bad, Bad, Bad World. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, but you like the prop With planes. Jim Backus. Yeah, I'm having old-fashioned like dear old dad made. 
<laughs> I remember the I first time I saw Buddy Hackett do stand-up. I was kind of <laughs> like, oh, my goodness. <laughs> Dave Shane from the RJ. 56 games. It was a weird season. The real McCoy, right? 82 next year. Looks like it. Catch your breath and yeah. back before you know it. I was going to say, swing some golf clubs, throw some baits in the water, and yeah, before we know it, it's going to be, what, mid-September and probably getting back to training camp. Do <laughs> you the rest of the world a, a favor and don't take any pictures after you throw the line in the no, water? No, no, I want to see what he's getting. No, I, I have no desire to look at it. Let's see. The fish fry at Dave Shane's house. The problem is the kind of fish he catches. The, the fi- he's, he's frying the fish with a butane torch. <laughs> <laughs> and the butane doesn't want to go anywhere near the fish. No. He's our buddy, man. Thank you for doing this podcast. You, you got one coming up before the draft, I'm assuming? Yeah, we're going to be doing them uh, probably weekly. So you can still cool. catch them. They're uh, reviewjournal.com where all the podcasts are located. Golden Edge. Uh, definitely have one up this week, kind of wrapping up the season. You're the man, man. I appreciate you coming by. It's good to see you. Yeah, twice in one week. We gotta, we gotta go hit that golf ball. Yeah, we do. I gotta get in shape, boy. I oh, faded I the other day. Oof, got to about 15 and could barely even swing a driver. It was like oh, more goodness. fish in your diet. Yeah. <laughs> With the arms pumping. Yeah, there you go. TC and Ballpark, the boys are coming up next. Hey, I hope everybody uh, has just an incredible holiday weekend. Stevie, love you, bud. Thanks for everything. Have a good weekend, boys. And TC Ballpark are coming up next. Enjoy the fourth and the holiday weekend.